Welcome to In It Together, a podcast for white allies. I'm Allison Trena here with Tamir Novotny, and we're here to work through the guilt, shame, and fear that prevent us from showing up in solidarity with people of color for our shared liberation. So we said we are going to unpack the guilt, shame, and fear the sin in our way in showing up for racial justice. We're going to get right into it here in our second episode. A lot of us white folks are secretly, if subconsciously, asking ourselves some really wrenching questions. Questions like, how do I know if I'm really an anti-racist and I'm not just deluding myself into thinking I am one? How do I know if my relationships with people of color are real and they're not just placating me as a survival strategy? There is some real tension in these questions that we need to reckon with. But more often than not, The effect of these questions is not to introduce rigor into our practice, but rather to immobilize us. And in this respect, wrestling with these questions can be a form of self-sabotage. Allison, what do we mean by self-sabotage? Oh my gosh. (laughs) A number of things. Well, I loved, I mean, just talking about it with you before we started recording. I think we're, yeah, really on the same page around self-sabotage meaning really anything that gets in the way of taking action, taking anti-racist action. Um, And when it comes to self-sabotaging questions, they are questions that, at least for me, keep me stuck in guilt and shame and fear and that shape my own self-image as someone who is unworthy, who's not whole, who, you know, doesn't deserve (laughs) anything really. And we know that self-sabotage can be really rooted in underlying fears about ourselves and our basic goodness, our basic worthiness as human beings. Yeah, that that really hits home. And I, I can't tell you the number of times I have been slowed down, distracted, rendered absent in my work mm-hmm. because deep down I'm afraid that I'm not good enough. And you know, I was talking with my wife last night about this episode. I was like, well, isn't that just the whitest thing in the world that like the thing that keeps that keeps us from showing up and interrupting white supremacy is our own fear about our basic goodness? Like, mm-hmm. I can't think about a more profound way to center whiteness than and there are many, but that's up there. And yep. when you put it that way, it's like, come on, like, not only do we not want to do it because it's bad for us, but it's bad for the work. Like, mm-hmm. yeah. how do we get rid of that? We got to move through it so we can actually do the work and... One of our goals to move through it is to replace these kind of closely held self-sabotaging questions with more real and rigorous questions that actually help strengthen our anti-racist practice. And part of that is identifying the real tensions um, between the self-sabotage and the rigor that may not have easy answers. Yeah. And one thing we were talking about as we prep for this is how anti-racist practice, it's not a static thing, right? Like a lot of us just wish there was a set of rules we could follow. And if we just follow the rules, then we don't have to be so afraid of making mistakes, hurting people, being wrong, like on a really deep level. But practices ever-changing, emergent, evolving. And so we do from time to time have to reckon with difficult questions about how we're showing up. You know, is this harmful even if we didn't understand it as harmful five years ago? Um and how do we do that in a way that is substantive and not a referendum on our basic self-worth as human beings? Like, can mm. we offer ourselves compassion without letting ourselves off the hook? Mm. Yeah. 
So in that vein today, we're going to unpack the first self-sabotaging question in our series. We've got a bunch of questions and this is our first one. And our question is, how do I know I'm a real anti-racist and not just another problematic white person performing anti-racism? <laughs> Every time I look at that question, that's how I feel. Yeah. <sighs> just going to take a breath. Uh, it's like, it's such a nagging like invitation to our inner critic, right? It's not just a substantive judgment. It's a moral judgment. It's a moral self-judgment. And there's mm -hmm. so much out in the world on social media and our conversations. Like if you don't do this, you're part of the problem. Mm. And so like, it's so easy to render ourselves as people problematic, as mm -hmm. opposed to saying, as our practice evolves, we realize this behavior is problematic. This practice mm -hmm. is problematic. We can do this better. There's another way of understanding this. It's like, no, I'm problematic. I'm yeah. a problematic person. And so the only way that I, by extension, the only way that I can make things better is to cease to exist. Uh, mm. my, my friend and colleague, Grace Patterson calls this uh, a self-annihilating impulse in allyship mm. that we're inherently dangerous, we're inherently unworthy, and therefore um, we should just not do anything. Mm. And that's mm. not what we're being asked to do. It is definitely not. <laughs> um, yeah, this really, this question is, how do I know I'm a really anti-racist, not just another problematic white person performing anti-racism, really gets at something kind of deep for me around, do I even get to call myself an anti-racist? And like, who gets to decide? And for the longest time, and I think I actually am still in this place today, of like, I have said that I don't, I don't call myself an anti-racist. That's not like an identity label that I use for myself um, because the term feels so subjective and so contested. Like you were saying to that, you know, all kinds of folks on social media are saying, you've got to do this to, to really not be part of the problem. You've got to do that. And a lot of times the things that we're being called to do, sometimes they come into conflict with one another. They like can contradict one another. Um, and yeah, it feels like, in some ways, it feels like calling myself an anti-racist is like a moral judgment um, and like a positive moral judgment, <laughs> like I'm a good person, um, mm. as opposed to, like you said, like I'm taking action that is effective, that is um, being called for by people of color. Um, and then on the flip side of that, you know, if I'm not a real anti-racist, that means I'm a bad person. It feels like a moral judgment on the other side of the coin, um, that I am worthless, that I, you know, am, am contributing to a problem, um, just by existing. Yeah. And, you know, part of that also is when we call ourselves an anti-racist and I do, maybe mm -hmm. I shouldn't, but I do like we develop an ego identification. I have an ego investment in being this thing. And if anything comes along that threatens my conception of myself as a good anti-racist, mm -hmm. then I might lash out to protect that self-concept the same way that folks who are maybe earlier on their journey might lash out um, in order to defend themselves as not racist, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. um, but to me, it feels like there's like, there's a substantive descriptor, which is like, mm -hmm. I look at Dr. Kendi's, uh, Ibram X. Kendi in his book, How to Be an Anti-Racist. He has like a very straightforward definition of what an anti-racist is. And an anti-racist is someone who advances policies that seek to create equity uh, between racial groups. And mm. it's kind of like that simple cut and dried and policies can be anything from government 
to institutional to like customs and norms. And if you're mm. looking to disrupt those things, you are an anti-racist. Mm. And to me, that's also like kind of a measure, like, are you actually taking action mm -hmm. that's going to do those things? So from that respect, it feels like more, for me, it feels like more of an accurate descriptor, but I can see the dangers of it being like trying to claim some kind of exceptionalism that I'm an anti-racist and you're mm. not. I'm mm -hmm. like, there's no, I, I don't see any value in that. Yeah. Yeah. Another thing I've noticed is that like we set a really high standard for who gets to be an anti-racist. And I don't mean we like necessarily you and me, Tamir, but mm -hmm. that like, um, again, what we see on social media, what we see in the news and in the world, um, there often is like a really high standard set. And again, or again, it can be subjective, sub subjective. I don't know what word I was going for there. Subjective. <laughs> and contested. I was going for that again. Um, uh -huh. And it just makes me ask the questions of like, what qualifies someone to be an anti-racist? Like, do you have to have <laughs> a certain yeah. set of experiences, a degree? Um, yeah. And then I guess I flip to the other side of the coin of like, yeah, the intention matters and the action and impact matters, right? Like, you know, one can can have uh, whatever qualifications have been put, put forth to be an anti-racist and still may not be taking action or creating an impact uh, that directly impacts the well-being and livelihood of people of color. Yeah. I think all this is kind of backing us into like, what are the criteria that we use, right? Like mm -hmm. what are the questions we can ask ourselves? What are the standards we want to hold ourselves to? Or even if we don't say, and therefore I am an anti-racist, we can at least mm -hmm. say like, my anti-racist practice might not be perfect, mm -hmm. but I have some level of confidence in how I'm going about it. Yeah. Because for yeah. me, like, if I can say that, like, I may still have doubts, I may still have anxieties about it, but at least there's like a, a baseline level of trust I can have in how I'm showing mm. up. Mm. Yeah. And that really leads us to a more rigorous question. And so for each of these self-sabotaging questions, we've identified a more rigorous question that can help us actually take action, move through the shame, the fear, the self-doubt. And a more rigorous question we've come up with is, what do I do that makes me confident that my anti-racist practice is up to snuff? So it's really action focused and, you know, kind of questions that could fall beneath that question are, am I continuously learning and seeking to deepen my analysis and practice? Like, am I seeking out different opinions, particularly from folks who are most affected by the issue, i.e. racism, i.e. people of color? Am I practicing discernment with those multiple opinions? Am I thinking about why does one person's opinion resonate with me? What about this do I actually agree with? What do I disagree with? And honing that kind of discernment muscle. I'm wondering if we want to pause there before we get into some of these other sub questions and just kind of yeah. like unpack it a little bit more. I, I remember yeah. being, remember the first time you said this when we were prepping for this, I, something about it, like I just get stuck on. I wonder if you can just say mm. more about how you practice that. Mm, 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 mm. Oh, it's so sticky. This is like such a sticky part because really what I'm, what I'm saying in that discernment is I'm saying that there are some people of color whose perspectives on anti-racism, there are some people of color who have perspectives on anti-racism that I don't agree with, mm -hmm. right? That I think are like um, conservative in nature, that I think are dehumanizing in nature, et cetera. And as a white person, I have to, <laughs> 
I'm, I'm making that judgment, right? That I'm that I'm saying that there are other people of color who have views on anti-racism and what it means to take anti-racist action that resonate with me and that resonate mm-hmm. with my values um, and that resonate with what I see in the world and what I know of how this country has come to be and like what I know of history. Um, and that feels really sticky to say out loud. It feels really sticky to say that that discernment for me looks like saying there's some folks of color whose lead I'm going to follow and others Mm -hmm. I'm not. And I mean, that's, that's necessary because, you know, no, no racial group is a monolith. There's a, a, a Pew study that came out a year or two ago that showed that just among black folks in particular, the percentage of black people who wanted to defund the police was the same as the percentage of people who wanted to increase police presence. Mm. And a lot of folks were in the middle. They were either unsure or kind of thought it was okay the way it was. Not okay, but that like defunding or eliminating the police was not the answer. And even though as like good anti-racists, if I dare call us that, like, you know, we want to make sure we're following the lead of people of color, but it's not just anyone, right? We do have to exercise some discernment in who we listen to. Yeah. And that discernment isn't static either, right? Like that discernment Mm. practice changes the people I've followed, the people whose leadership I've been guided by has changed too, as I've learned more. Right. And we all know that, you know, that study and reflection is necessary, but insufficient. So another question Mm -hmm. for us is what are the actions that I'm taking and like, how are they going to change systems? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And there can be a self-sabotaging question that comes from that question. That's something that you and I discovered when, you know, looking at like, okay, what are these more rigorous questions that like self-sabotage can be really persistent. So mm-hmm. under that question of what actions am I taking a self-sabotaging question can be, am I taking enough action? You know, how many days, hours a day, days a week, am I taking action? Um, and I feel like that enough part is a trap. I feel like the, Mm. how many, you know, how much time I'm spending doesn't have to be a trap. It can can be good to, to measure, you know, to quantify what we're doing in some ways. I think it can be short-sighted in others, but that kind of, am I taking enough action? Well, there's never going to be enough. There's never going to be enough for any of us in all of our lifetimes combined to take, but that doesn't mean that we shouldn't take action. But if I come to the conclusion that no, I'm not taking enough action, that can lead to a lot of defeat. That can lead to kind of throwing my hands up in the air and being like, well, any action I take doesn't really matter because it's never going to be enough, which is super self-sabotaging. Right. And maybe a different way of asking that question is like, what could I do that could have a meaningful impact? Right. Mm. Like, even if it, even if it's like, I'm going to spend two hours phone baking for a progressive candidate, mm. either in my state or in another state. Mm-hmm. It's like, Mm -hmm. did you change the whole system? No. Did you make a meaningful contribution Mm. to a progressive effort? Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Right. I feel like if, if I do that on a given day and I've done it some, I could probably do it a lot more. Mm. Like, yeah, I did some good stuff today. Mm -hmm. And that sounds like a rigorous question too. Like, what are the criteria for my actions? Like you just kind of answered Mm -hmm. that in that example. Like I contributed meaningfully to a progressive cause for X amount of time. Like there's some criteria yeah. built into that. Yeah, I agree. And, and for me, like I'm in a new place. So I moved for, for those who don't know me, I moved like four times over the last two years. And in our last couple of moves, my wife and I moved up to Western Massachusetts. Um, it's very, very white here, both demographically and culturally. And I'm still learning the ecosystem. And so one of my criteria right now, or really something I'm looking to do is just answer calls to action from those 
POC-led organizations that I'm aware of, right? Mm. And just like, am I being asked to go a place? I'll go there. I did not do that this weekend. I missed an action and felt really shitty about that. Mm. But also like there will be more, right? Yeah. So like, am I answering the call? Am I making any effort right now to build relationships with folks who are doing this work? And for mm. me, like those are criteria. I also, this is a bit of an aside, but I just want to name that voice, right? That asks these questions in our heads. And this was mm. actually going to be the original framing for the whole show until we <laughs> decided to broaden it. So for those who may not be familiar with internal family systems, there's this theory in like the therapeutic world that we're sort of acting out dynamics from our own family lives in everything that we do. And one of the forms that that takes are these inner critics and that little voice in your head. It might be your voice. It might be a voice you recognize. It might not be. It might belong to a character that you've completely made up who embodies your own fears. But like they say mean things to you and self-defeating things to you in an attempt to keep you safe. But it's not really safety mm. because you're not becoming the person you're supposed to be. You're still holding on to some tender stuff that it's protecting. Mm. And you're not taking action. Yeah. Which can feel really safe, right? Like not taking yeah. action can feel really safe because then it means we're not taking the wrong action. That means we're not a bad person if we take the wrong action. Like I can, I can see why my little brain weasels are trying to keep me, <laughs> trying to keep me safe. Um, oh my God. <laughs> But like, oh. I have to move into discomfort. I have to move into taking risk if I'm actually yeah. going to show up for racial justice. So I'm actually going to, you know, try to take action that makes a difference for people of color. Yeah. 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 And it's like, if I know my inner critics are doing something and I just let them go, mm. you know, I, I, then I start to wonder, am I prioritizing my own comfort? Mm. Mm over and I, I I pause there because I know that like I, I suffer from anxiety and there are times when I have no control over what's happening with my inner critics and they're firmly in the driver's seat and I would yeah. change it if I could and in that moment I just can't. So yep. like there's an ableist way to to say that and there's a way that says like deep down if I know that I can like greet those inner voices and say, thank you for trying to keep me safe. I'm gonna mm. move on now to something I can really do. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. If we can and we don't, it's different from we truly can't. And that's where we have to exercise our discernment. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Which kind of leads me to like, how do we stop from spiraling <laughs> when we're, you know, trying to ask these rigorous questions, but they can even beget some self-sabotaging questions. Mm -hmm. Like, how do we stop? What's going to ground us and get us back to, to center and remembering that like, we are worthy. We have something valuable to contribute to anti-racist movements. I feel like there aren't easy answers to that one. Yeah. I wonder if, if one of them just came up, which is, I mean, first we have to learn to notice when we're spiraling. Mm. So if, and there are signs, right? Like we've been doing it in this conversation. So if you notice your, every time you come up with an answer to a question, you have two more questions, you might <laughs> be spiraling. If mm. while this is happening, you might notice things in your body your chest mm. is tightening. I feel a crackling in my brain, which I've mm. been told by psychiatrists is physically impossible, but I don't believe them because I feel <laughs> it more often than I wish I did. Um, yeah. So like, you know, what's happening in your body, in your psyche? Like what, what are you hearing in your head? Right. And you can say, Oh, I'm spiraling. 
That's the mm. first step because you become aware of what's happening. It's no longer driving you without your conscious awareness. And the mm. second one is to greet it with curiosity. Say, oh, mm. what's happening here for me? To slow mm-hmm. down, give myself space to unpack what's happening. What's underneath this for me? What do I need right now? Mm-hmm. But then to take it back to action. So like, how do I take this from a place of spiraling to a place of rigor? What's like a more rigorous question I can ask myself? What, what could I be doing in this moment that would have an impact even if I'm feeling insecure? Yeah. Uh, that's what comes to mind for me. What do you think? I love that. I love just the, the three step to stop from spiraling. Notice, curiosity, action. <laughs> right? Like just, yeah, that noticing practice, noticing when we're spiraling, greeting that spiraling with curiosity, and then moving back to what is the action that I can take to get unstuck, to contribute, um, to movement. Yeah. I just love that. That's really well put, Tamir. Yeah. Are there any other questions that come up for you just in terms of our, like the criteria you use in your own practice? Where you judge the rigor of your practice? Hmm. That's a good question. I feel like we've covered a lot of them. I think, yeah, I think the one that comes up for me a lot is, is it being called for by people of color and people Mm -hmm. of color who I've discerned to be, you know, like voices that I want to follow yeah, is it have like what is the tangible impact over what time frame is it? Is the tangible impact happening? Because that's that can be tricky too. Like, mm-hmm. like you said, like two hours of phone banking isn't going to change the system entirely, but it's contributing to a much longer term, larger scale change. Mm-hmm. But yeah, yeah. Mm. You, you know, I think I want to invite folks who are listening to this to maybe try this exercise for themselves. Like what are the standards by which you want to measure your own anti-racist practice? What are the questions you want to ask yourself that move from a self-sabotaging place to a a place of rigor? Mm, mm, mm. So maybe, maybe take a few minutes right now, like pause the pod or do it when we finish up and just like make some notes to yourself in a journal or sit with the question, talk to your partner or a friend when you get home or do this with a colleague, right? Mm. And see Mm. if you can come to something that, you know, it won't take away all of the anxiety that you have because there will always be room for self-doubt in this, but at least give you a bit of an anchor, right? Mm -hmm. Something you can come back to in those moments where you feel like you're spiraling just to sort of reground. Yeah. And I love, Tamir, the suggestion of talking to a colleague about this, talking to perhaps another white person who's doing anti-racism work or taking anti-racist action. Um, to kind of do a gut check, like just like you and I have done here. And part of, you know, why you and I, Tamir, have created this podcast is because we want to make public conversations between white people that are often very private and often very Mm -hmm. like secretive because (laughs) there's a lot of self-sabotage involved in them a lot of times. Um, Mm -hmm. But yeah, I think the more we can talk to other white people openly about, yeah, what, what, what are the actions I'm taking? How am I thinking through these actions? What are the criteria I'm using? How do I know if they're effective, impactful? Like, I think, yeah, I just think it's only beneficial for the movements that we're a part of. Mm -hmm. Yep. And just plus one, like if you're a white person listening to this, like talk to another white person. Mm. <laughs> we try I'm, I'm a bit self-conscious as I say that because I don't think we want to be in the business of telling people what to do because as we said I don't know if we've said this on the air yet but like we don't claim exceptionalism from other white people I am far from a perfect anti-racist right like 
agreed for me. <laughs> yeah. So there's definitely stuff that I should be doing that I don't. And mm-hmm. there's a lot of stuff that I do. Mm-hmm. And so just like when I say that, it's just like, you know, we, we know this. It's just a reminder. It's a thing that we're asked to do not to put our, our sort of insecurities on people of color. So let's just practice that here. Mm-hmm. Um, so we want to try something new. Everything is new because it's our second episode, <laughs> but this is especially new. We want to try closing out um, every episode with some action commitments and we're going to start and then we're going to invite you all to make action commitments and maybe share those with us on social or over email. Mm. Um, so I can, I can start and say, I mentioned before there was an action this weekend. Um, there was a young man who was, uh, killed by the police here during a mental health emergency a couple of weeks ago. It was really pretty fucked up. And, Mm. um, there was an action a few towns away this Sunday and, I was like, it was on my calendar. I was ready to go and it was time to leave. And like, I couldn't move. Mm. I was just exhausted. And I felt Mm. so bad because it's like the first thing since I've moved here that I'm aware of with advanced notice was going to happen and I didn't go. Mm. And so my, my commitment to myself and it's like, yeah, I needed to honor my physical needs, but also like I was centering my comfort a little bit. So I want to own that and say, I'm going to find the next damn action I can find. And I'm committing to go kind of no matter what. Mm, I love that. That's awesome. Super support you in that. I'll ask you about it the next time we talk. <laughs> Thank you. That would really help. Yeah. Uh, side note, having accountability buddies for action commitments is super helpful. Thank you, Allison. Yeah. How about yeah. you? Oh, that's, a, that's a great question. Yeah. I am headed into a vacation at the end of the week and I want to spend some time at least a little bit of time during that time off looking at where do I want to plug in deeper in my community? Is there mm. a different organization or organizations that I'm already connected with that I want to plug into more deeply? Um, just in that vein of reflecting on, yeah, what is the action I'm taking? Like, is it, you know, kind of creating the impacts that I'm hoping it will create? Um, and just deepening my commitment, yeah, to an organization or multiple organizations here. Cool. And what support would help you with that? Uh, you checking in with me, Tamir, the next time we talk. That would be great. Okay. I, would, I would love to compare notes with you on this because, you know, plugging in locally in New York City where I used to live is very different from plugging in here. And mm. so I'd, I'd love to just learn more about how you're doing that, like the kinds of relationships you're in, stuff like that. That would be yeah. really helpful to me. Yeah. Mm. Let's do it. Thank you. <laughs> oh. So... Friends, listeners, what's a commitment you want to make to yourself this week? And what support do you need to carry it out? We've got a couple of options in case you're not sure where to start. You could attend an action in your area. And if you're not sure where to find those, what other white people can you ask? Mm -hmm. What are some organizations you can think of that are active on these issues? Uh, Where are you already plugged in? Um, Mm -hmm. Or, and or, you can move money to a group led by people of color that is doing progressive work. And we have just one example here. As you know, there have been a lot of attacks right now on the LGBTQ community, particularly in more conservative parts of the country. Mm-hmm. And so I want to shout out an organization called the Contigo Fund, um, which is run by an old friend of mine, Marco Quiroga. It started in the aftermath of the Pulse Massacre and is a, uh, a fund to resource uh, social justice community in Florida and the Southeast. And so just one example of many, many progressive organizations taking on real battles right now uh, that you can support if you're able. Mm. 
Mm. Awesome. Well, that wraps up today's episode of In It Together, a podcast for white allies. If the show is resonating with you, please like and subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. You can support the show on Coffee at ko-fi.com slash inittogetherallies. And you can find us on Facebook and Instagram at inittogetherallies and on Twitter as inittogetherpod. That's it for today. See you next time. Thanks for listening.